0: What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Gunter, and today we are joined by Dr. Margaret Rutherford. Uh, Dr. Margaret Rutherford is a psychologist, therapist. She's been practicing uh, for over 25 years, and she has become well-known for providing common-sense therapy for people who are struggling with anxiety, depression, and uh, specifically a syndrome that she has termed perfectly hidden depression. So she's the host of a popular podcast called Self Work. I recommend that you check it out. It's fantastic. This is another great outlet where she provides common sense advice and tactics for dealing with all the sorts of challenges uh, that life tends to throw our way. Uh, She's also the author of a book titled perfectly hidden depression, uh, which is going to be our primary topic of discussion today. So, you know, th- this diverts a little bit uh, from our traditional lineup, but there's a really specific reason why I wanted to have Dr. Margaret on today. And, uh, you know, that's because often no matter what your goal is, whether it athletic, uh, something with, with regards to your professional goals or your personal life, I mean, almost always some of the most difficult challenges and obstacles that we have to face are the ones uh, that we're battling within our own head. So what struck me about her work specifically, uh, and I actually was was offered the opportunity to read her book before coming on, it, it was really great, and I was grateful to have an opportunity to do so, uh, is that this syndrome, perfectly hidden depression, it's not obvious to others on the surface. In fact, what, what kind of like made me take a step back is that the persona for someone suffering from this is actually someone who might be a perfectionist. Uh, they might be seen as an overachiever, uh, the type of person who has, you know, as an individual experienced some sort of great success in whatever venture it is that they're passionate about. Um, but for that individual, deep down, they know that something is just not right. And the motives behind kind of all those exterior strengths that you might see uh, are not aligned correctly. So, I have to be honest. After reading her book, uh, it, it gave me pause, and I had to take a step back when I read the description, some of the characteristics, and it, it really made me question, uh, you know, some of the things in my own life. And um, sadly, you know, as I've I've talked about on a couple of prior podcasts, unfortunately, uh, those within our kind of like close inner circle, there's been a few who have lost loved ones uh, within the last six months, year uh, to suicide. And so often, as is the case with suicide, you know, people are left with, with questions as to why, how. We didn't see it coming. Um, and so the reason I felt this was so important is that this, this perfectly hidden depression, this idea um, that there's, you know, potentially a large group of people out there who are suffering with this, um, but they don't fit what would traditionally be characterized as clinical depression. And so the thought that people are slipping through the cracks quite frankly, is, is frightening. Um, so I want to introduce her today. Uh, man, an absolute pleasure to speak with. We had a really great conversation. Um, you know, dealing with these topics sometimes can be a little uncomfortable, but uh, I think shedding light, uh, either if this is, you know, something that kind of speaks to you as an individual or maybe you know someone that this might make sense for, uh, just really important and can be kind of the first step to healing. Um, so with that if you are enjoying the show please do as i always say leave a rating and a review we greatly appreciate it if you want to reach out to me directly uh hit me up on instagram uh, the show's handle is at the underscore professional athlete you can also go to ken or you can reach out and contact us we also have a lot of content for the show there uh and if you're unaware don't log off before you stick around for the "Run It by My Wife" section, where we break it down with the lovely Sonia Gunter. Uh, we had a pretty good one <laughs> for this episode, so uh, I'm going to get out of the way because this conversation was, uh, you know, amazing. I don't think that's that's an overstatement. So, without further ado, please welcome Dr. Margaret Rutherford to the show. Here we go. <laughs> i got
1: too much to do yeah i gotta get going i gotta talk to you it's
0: time to start the show <laughs> well margaret thank you very much for joining the show
2: Well, I'm delighted to be here, Ken. I really am. And we've just figured out that you might know a family member of mine. (laughs) I know.
0: (laughs) I know. I had to to stop myself because uh, we could have kept talking for a whole hour and not (laughs) even recorded any of it.
2: Well, Uh, we we people in Arkansas love to chat. So,
0: yes, yes. How is life in Arkansas right now, by the way?
2: Well, it's, uh, it's been a beautiful fall. I mean, fall here, I live in the middle of the Ozark, so it's just oh, okay. here and we've had the same turbulence that everybody else has COVID. And, uh, yeah. we're one of the hot spots, unfortunately here in our, um, uh, the, our part of the state. So, uh, we're all staying close to home, but Arkansas is a lovely place to be. Lots of very, very friendly people, good food, good music.
0: Yeah. I actually haven't been yet. You know, I, I think my company used to be headquartered out of Arkansas. I should really know that. If someone I work with. Yeah, uh, Axiom.
2: Oh yeah, 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 they were. Sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, and then uh, I work for a company now called LiveRamp. I don't know if I should be sharing that, but, um, <laughs> but anyways, so, but yeah, so Arkansas, I've, I've, I know enough about it, but I've never been myself.
2: Well, a lot of people actually fly into my part of the state because we are the home for the Waltons and Walmart. Oh, well yeah, the home for Tyson. So we've actually got this incredible little airport that has direct flights all over the world, and well, nine states at least, and uh, it's kind of you know it's <laughs> very. Very nice for those of us who like to travel or are looking forward again to traveling.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. Have you done any travel during uh, this whole pandemic?
2: No, no. I, uh, my cardiologist looked at me and she said, you're going to sit at home.
1: So
0: (laughs) you're in lockdown. Yeah, Yeah. we, we, uh, so I I think I told you before we started, but I have three young kids and my brother kept postponing his, his wedding. It was supposed to be in Hawaii. And then that became clear it wasn't going to happen. So We did make the trip out to Seattle and uh, I don't know. The experience was not as bad as we thought it would be, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's interesting. It's just a constant reminder. Like you can't escape the fact that we're kind of living in this environment right now. Everyone has a mask. Everything's different. I don't know. What are you going to do? Hopefully it's over soon though.
2: I, well, we've got some good news on the forefront of things. So I'm looking forward to that for sure.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, Well, like I said, I, I am so excited to have you on the show today. Um, you know, for, for people who don't know yet, you wrote a book and I think it came out last year, correct? Just about
2: this time last year, right?
0: Yeah. And it's, uh, it's titled Perfectly Hidden Depression. Um, and, you know, your team was kind enough to send me a copy. And whenever I get a chance, like I always enjoy reading. Uh, you know, especially when a guest is coming on. But what I have to say is I did not anticipate just how much um, I was going to like relate to some of it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which to me, I was like, oh, no, I was just trying to do a little research. <laughs> and uh, you, I think you have, you know, there's a there's a quiz in one of the first few chapters. It it's is? kind of like a self-assessment. Yeah. And uh, they're yes, no questions. And at the end, it's like, hey, based on your total, like generally here's some guidelines as to like where you might kind of fall. And I was looking at the total and I was like, oh boy, (laughs) that's that's a little higher than I was hoping for.
2: You know, we were talking a little bit before about the publishers that did not publish my book, but all of them, almost all of them, I would say 90% of the people who turned it down also said to me. This book really needs to get published. We're not going to do it, but we because I really oh. responded to this, and uh, so did some of the other people on the staff. So I'm um, I was very honored when New Harbinger decided to publish it. And uh, you know, Ken, I've never wanted to write a book. I have <laughs> loved being a therapist. I love just uh, that whole profession. I got good therapy when I was in my 20s and so I turned my whole life around. I was a professional singer and oh, so no uh, yeah and so I it, about, it took me 8 or 9 years to to turn that around like I said and but I have adored being a therapist. This 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 found me. This topic found me. So mm. That's why I've written the book. It took me, I, I wrote a blog post back in 2014, because I was thinking about some of the people that I had worked with over the years that when they walked in my door, they just, they wouldn't have said they were depressed. They were, in fact, quite the opposite. Right. And Uh, They maybe were there for some anxiety, or they were developing an eating disorder, or they were drinking a little too much, or their spouse said they needed to come in or something. (laughs) They kind of look around and go, I really don't know why I'm here. I feel kind of funny. Yeah. But what I also noticed about all these people was that they didn't have language to use for painful emotion. Hmm. Smile and tell me these traumatic things that had happened. Like I'm talking like rapes and alcohol abuse of a parent and bullying. And I mean, severe bullying and things like that and go, well, you know, things happen. And, and so I just wrote this post called the perfectly hidden depressed person. Are you one? I just kind of pulled those words out of the uh, hemispheres or somewhere? Yeah. Like, yeah. Guy somewhere. And, um, the, the, The post went viral. And then when it was on the Huffington Post, I was writing for them at the time. I forgot that I'd left my email on the bottom of the post. And I got hundreds of emails. Oh, wow. You're in my head. How do you know this is going on? Mm -hmm. I was shocked. I thought, what is this? So nothing like that had happened before, I promise you. (laughs) So um, I started looking well, what's out there about hmm. perfectionism and depression? And I found Brene Brown's work, which is all about vulnerability and shame and perfectionism. And, but even she did not link it to depression. Hmm. You know, researchers are doing that. Yeah, That's more scholarly, you know? Um, so I got some encouragement from some of my enthusiastic blogger friends that said, you know, go for it. And I sat down, and in five years, I had a book published. So called "Perfectly Hidden Depression," as you just said.
0: Yeah. Well, and so maybe maybe a good place to start is can can you explain a little bit about what perfectly hidden depression is? Um, And I guess what I'm intrigued about is like why a lot of the things that you were seeing, uh, you know, kind of time and time again with some of the folks that you were working with why it was not being identified as depression. And maybe that's because it, it's the definition of clinical depression.
2: Exactly. It, uh, okay. Right on target. The reason why it's not being diagnosed as depression is the fact that it, someone who walks in your door and starts talking to you about what's going on with them. For for one thing, people with this, what I call a syndrome don't mm. do a very good job of telling you what's really going on with them. But they don't fit classic criteria. Uh, and so b- the two of the major ones are depressed mood for, mm. a, for a certain amount of time that is noticeable to self or others. These people, again, don't see themselves as depressed. Mm. Other people certainly don't see them as depressed. They're engaged, they're industrious, they're successful, they have happy families. Many of them have told me people come up to them and say, "You know, your family is just perfect." Hmm. So these people don't look depressed, and they wouldn't call what was wrong with them depression at first. Hmm. The second c- classic criteria that has to be present, one or but bo- one or both of these, is called anhedonia, which means you f- don't find pleasure in things that were previously pleasurable, and that's hard to say. Previously pleasurable,
0: yeah, I know.
2: <laughs> Jack so,
0: jumped over a candlestick.
2: Yeah. Like <laughs> so you know you give. You give those criteria to clinicians, and it's you know uh, entrenched in us that you just don't classify someone as classically depressed unless they mm. at least want it. And then there, there's hopelessness, there's uh, mental fog, there's uh, indecisiveness, there's uh, helplessness, there's low self esteem, and all this stuff, suicidality. Mm. Um, so that's why it's important because I believe and I'm not the only one to believe this, I just had the gall to write a book about it, I guess, is that um, these people are falling through the cracks and they're killing themselves. Because yeah. you know, one of the things that was so wonderful and was such a, an honor and a blessing is that as I was trying to figure this out, I was writing blog posts about mm what I was trying to ascertain. And at the bottom of those blog posts, I didn't put my email. But mm-hmm. I said, um, you know, if you would contact me, if you identify with this, would you please contact me? Yeah. And so I had about 60, 70, 80 people do that over about three months period of time. And I called out some of them because they just didn't fit what I was looking at. Um, and, and so I asked these people, you know, what is why have you reached out to me? Here I am, a perfect stranger.
1: Mm-hmm. You're
2: telling me extremely confidential information. I had brain surgeons. I had um, one of the largest states in the United States, the head of their advertising, their advertising for the entire state, oh, wow. I had a motivational speaker <laughs> who's pretty well known. Yeah. Um, I had these people reach out and I said, but why? You know, and without hesitancy, they said to me, because this is the loneliest and most despairing way of living your life, Mm. I can imagine, because no one sees you. You are invisible. The real you is invisible. And you may hide it by, um, well, for your listeners with athletic prowess, athletic success, you may hide it with financial success. You may hide it with just looking like you're always there for other people, and you, you've you've learned this strategy that sometimes is really not even conscious anymore. Mm. It, you, it's so automatic with you that you you've done it for so long that until you see the words "perfectly hidden depression," you kind of go, "Wait a minute, Could, is this something?" Mm. You know. And I don't want anyone else to live that life. Yeah, That's why they told me their stories. And that's where the stories in the book come from.
0: Oh, really?
2: Yeah. That's where they come from is these people who reached out to me and told me how they had gotten to that strategy in their lifetimes, that they had to be perfect and Mm. had to appear perfect. Well,
0: and I, I told you this a little before we started, too, you know, um, It's been very challenging because just recently, my own inner circle, we've had uh, two really good friends who both lost fathers, both very successful by, I mean, any measure um, to suicide in a way that I I think, you know, both of them would say was completely unexpected. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and it's so what you're saying is it's kind of like, yeah, like they were kind of hiding in plain sight. Um, They were not the person that anyone would have pegged as depressed, uh, unmotivated, not that that's necessarily a characteristic, but, um, you know, they didn't fit the mold, I think. And and a lot of folks don't of, of what you would, uh, think of someone who's suicidal. So, you know, as I, as I saw that title, I was kind of like, I took a step back too. I was like, Oh, wow. Like perfectly hidden depression because that's, that's what it is.
2: Yeah. You know, this is not the same thing, although probably people with this would also pick up the book and think, oh, this is about me. Hmm. There's a certain uh, thing called, like, high-functioning depression or smiling depression. Ah, oh, okay. The difference between those people and the people I'm trying to reach the most, although I certainly would love to help those people, yeah. is that they know they're depressed. They just have devised some kind of way through oh interesting their or through their... Um, I don't I mean, I'm not putting down people who are depressed who can't do that. I mean, there are a lot of people whose depression is so severe they cannot.
1: Hmm.
2: The the people that go to work, take their medicine, exercise, but know they're depressed. Hmm. And that's a uh, that's a certain kind of depression. But they would readily tell a trusted friend, yes, I'm I'm really struggling here. I'm sad. I didn't want to get out of bed this morning. The people I'm most trying to reach, because I think they're the most in their most danger, mm. are people who really developed this. I'll call it again a strategy to use a word I used a few minutes ago. Yeah. in order to handle, to manage, to emotionally survive whatever kind of family they or culture, important there, mm. culture they were born into, and so. Let's say they had a parent or parents who were alcoholic, and so they had to become sort of a pseudo-adult and take care of their other siblings. Mm. Let's say they had a mother or father who sexually abused them, and they had to try to... They developed this need to control. I mean, I need to control everything about me because I will never get hurt again. Mm. Uh, maybe they... um were the star of their family, you know, and they were seen only for their accomplishments. They were seen as somebody who was really good at a sport or at academics or at whatever. And so they became, they needed to become this sort of shell of themselves and that, because that's what they were known for. Maybe they just grew up in a family where nobody was allowed to talk about sadness or fear or anger. There are Mm -hmm. lots of families like that. Right. So there are lots of pathways there. But it's people who their perfectionism is not constructive. It's hmm. not the same as, gosh, I want to be the best version of myself I can be. Because that person can make a mistake. They can they they can enjoy the process of trying for excellence. They can be in the moment, sort of. But if they don't win, it's like, well, okay, what did I learn? You know, mm. I always want to try to be my best. That's constructive perfectionism, striving mm. for excellence. Destructive perfectionism is what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad, so glad you brought this up because as I was reading the book, too, I kept having that thought. I'm like, well, it to some extent, some of these things feel like they could be a strength. Oh, yeah. You know, but so I, this is actually a really important uh, differentiation to make. So uh, exactly, it's actually it's it's helping it's helping me rationalize some of this a little bit as well. Yeah, I didn't
2: yeah. It out that distinctly until actually the book was written. It's one of those things I look back and think, oh. yeah, you know, I knew as soon as this book was written and going to be published, I'd figure some other things out or learn from other things. So, yeah, it's a, I try to make the distinction in the book, but I, it's, it's not very well said actually, but destructive perfectionism and the kind of uh, depression and perfectionism that I'm talking about with perfectly hidden depression, which I think are equitable is that what is fueling that is shame and fear. Mm. you are, The the person who was abused, say, physically, emotionally, sexually, they have to then they they're trying to be in control. And they are so afraid and so ashamed of what happened. Mm. They've never told a soul. And it is it, it is like, you know, you're still that person that was traumatized. You were still you're no better than your father treated you or you'll never get this done, or you're you're no good at this, or this shame, this inner self-criticism and self-harsh uh, judgment is there all the time. Hmm. And so their perfectionism is trying to fight off those voices that are constant. I worked with a woman who Actually, I was working with her while I was writing the book, and I asked her two or three times if I could use what she just said in the book because it was so eloquent. She was just incredibly eloquent. And she said, you know, even in a call with a supervisor, because she worked from home, Hmm. she said, I would always have to know that I had the answer to the next question he was going to ask me. Hmm. So I couldn't appear like I didn't know or yeah. that I was a little lost. And she said, now that I've worked on this, I can even say to him, you know, I'm not, I'm going to have to check on that. I'm not real sure. You know, it's, it's this, it's this being okay with being a little more vulnerable as yeah. talks about a lot in, in not looking so put together.
0: Well, um, and that that's one of the things too, that I, I thought was such an interesting perspective and why I felt like it was so important to have this conversation, because a lot of the folks who listen to the show are people who um they, you know, they're interested in constantly evolving, improving, you know, yeah. like they either want to perform at their best or they want to find out how can they actually reach their potential. And what seemed so interesting to me was this idea that like this perfectionism, while it can be a positive, yeah, um it, it can also be a detriment. and that it seemed, and tell me if I'm Interpreting this correctly, a lot of the folks that you did work with uh, were high achievers. Oh, very high. And it, is it is is it accurate to say, or is this going too far that um, folks who are overachievers, maybe that certain like Type A personality type, are almost more susceptible to this um, than others?
2: It, it's the why of the high wow. achiever. <laughs> you know, if again, it's just innate. Um, You know, I, in fact, you and I were talking about Victoria Garrick and she definitely suffers from depression and she's definitely a perfectionist. And so she said, I am just innately, she was a college athlete at um, USC in volleyball when they were the number one team in in the nation. And Mm. she said, I'm innately competitive. I want to win all the time. But her depression comes from that sense of, um, now, she and I have not had a conversation yet, so I'm sort of paraphrasing what I've heard her say.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But she also had a lot of doubt and she had some things had, had happened to her in the past. And so, you know, it's it's how many is are, are you are you perfectionistic because you're keeping secrets because there's a part of you that you don't want anyone to know about.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: and So you have you are you feel forced to have this facade of everything is going great all the time mm-hmm. and your eye is on the prize and that's all it's on? Or are you know, is it more you're just sort of innately that way, but you can, you don't have this sense of um must, should, ought, have to, uh, must always. That yeah. just I mean, I call myself a perfectionist, yeah. and, and I always want to learn more and always want to to try harder. Uh, but through my own life, I've certainly realized that um, that my my thumb in my back. I don't have to have my thumb in my back because it is innate, and I used to think I did. Mm. I used to tell myself if I didn't have my thumb in my back that I would just be a slug. Hmm. You know, and what I've learned is that no, I, I, I don't I don't have to have that. But anyway, these people don't know that about themselves. and um, so I it is such an overlooked presentation of depression, and it's scary to me because
1: yeah.
2: suicides are going up, and actually research shows that both perfectionism and suicide are going up. Uh, together. And there's a special kind of perfectionism that maybe um, your listeners would enjoy hearing about. Uh, yeah, please. It's so academic, but. There are three kinds
1: okay. that
2: they study. One is self-oriented, which means you just expect a lot from yourself and you expect perfection from yourself. Yeah. The second one is other-oriented, which you expect others to be perfect around you, which is probably not a great person to be around. <laughs> that's probably a, that's probably, probably a rough a go of life. With that. And, and the third one is actually the most dangerous kind as far as suicidality is concerned. Oh, okay. and it's socially prescribed perfectionism. Hmm. And what that means is you feel like you always have to meet the expectations of others, no matter what they are. Oh, uh, yeah. So you're not in control. As one of the prominent researchers said to me in this phone call, he was delightful to talk to. He said, it's like the more you do, the more you have to do. The more people expect of you, the, the, you know, you're on this constant treadmill of, yeah. Always, i no, my my friends, my family, my coworkers, my supervisors, anybody who needs me or expects me to be something. I must always meet their expectations, and in fact, uh, exceed their expectations. Hmm. And the, it,
0: the, the bar just keeps so. Even when you do excel, exactly. the bar just keeps moving, and this pressure right. is just like it continues to mount. In
2: fact, one of the things. You know, I'm a I'm I'm pretty a folksy therapist. And so uh, <laughs> being from Arkansas, but uh, I, I will say to people, you know, so they they're, they're going to they've signed up to be their They're going to try to raise one hundred fifty thousand dollars for this nonprofit Okay, mm. chair of that committee. So I will look at them and say, well, now, what are you going to take off your plate? And they start laughing. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Why would I take anything off my plate? Right. Well, because you're this and you're this and you're this and you're this. And I say, no. You know what? I, I I go to bed at eleven. I'll just won't go to bed till twelve or one. I mean, I'm that sounds silly to say, but it's they
0: don't. Uh, no, it doesn't mind. actually. Sadly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it shocks them that I would ask them. So what's gonna give here? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, so what's interesting to me about this is, is, I think you've said this a couple times, and, and tell me if I'm understanding this correctly, is Probably that...
2: I repeat myself quite a bit.
0: No, this is good. <laughs> Part of the challenge is the individual is unable to identify this within themselves, that they're actually depressed. Like they might not even recognize it. Um,
2: well, so, uh, let me be quick to say... Okay. They know something in their gut feels off.
1: Off. Hmm.
2: The same woman I was telling you who was so eloquent told me a story about how she got up one night in the middle of the night, two or three o'clock in the morning, and she just said, I've got to find out what's wrong. Something is horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. And she looked up depression, and of course, she didn't find herself there. And she looked Ah. at me, and she had a small tear in her eye when she said this, but she said, I felt such shame at Hmm. thinking how could someone who has all the blessings in the world that I do think I'm depressed? Yeah. She said, until I saw the terms perfectly hidden depression, it would never have occurred to me. I, I, this woman had gone through years of infertility. Mm. She had never cried. She had never stopped trying. She had never grieved. Mm. And it was severe. She had had some really traumatic things happen with yeah. ad- adoptions that had fallen through and miscarriages and things like that. Mm-hmm. So she said she came in actually to therapy because something had happened in her life that had made her get in touch with that grief. And she didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, She just didn't know what to do with it. She didn't even know what it was. Hmm. And... Um, there were lots of reasons why she also grew up in a family where no one had talked about anything other than superficial things. She had had some sexual abuse happen to her in college. Hmm. And she was one of those people who also just having all that experience, it said, I'm going to stay in control.
0: Yeah. So for, so for people who are probably listening, I imagine, uh, to your point, there's some that have heard this and are kind of like, Oh man, like that, that, that describes what I'm going through. Um, more, more broadly, like when people are trying to kind of like assess, they know something's wrong. Like what are some of like the telltale signs, uh, that folks often experience and maybe it's different for every, every individual, but, uh, do you see any kind of like commonalities across people well, who kind of like fall into this category?
2: Well, um, You know, as I was writing about it, I tried, I actually took out a piece of paper and I put down the names of the people that I had seen that I thought fit this rubric. Yeah. Before I knew what the rubric was, I said, what are, and then I started, excuse me, I started thinking about what these people had in common. Mm. I literally started listing these things right by the names and kind of did the whole, okay, this person has this and this person has this. Right. Um, And I came up with these 10 characteristics. Okay. Again, it's not a diagnosis. It's what I call a syndrome. Yeah. Like codependence is a syndrome.
0: L- oh, sorry, like like what?
2: Codependence. Ah, is codependence. Got it. So it, uh, it's a syndrome is a group of behaviors and beliefs that tend to fall together. You will find them together.
1: Hmm.
2: So that's what a syndrome is. Okay. So the we've already talked a lot about one of them, which is a highly perfectionistic stance toward life, but but that is fueled by shame and fear. Right. Uh, lots of over responsibility a need for control and some worry but you have to hide the worry you don't uh, look like a worrier got it you don't and express in your head you're very overly analytical you don't like the mess of emotions mm. Um say to me you know oh i'm just not a crier or they laugh and say oh gosh you know if i started crying i'd never stop that kind of thing
0: <laughs> right 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 they've got uh, a quick they've got a quick answer to deflect yeah
2: they discount, you know, they'd say to me, I don't know how you do what you do all the day, all day long. You just listen to problems. <laughs> you know, no, that's not what I do all day long. But anyway, right. they discount um, any kind of trauma that happened to them. I, one mm-hmm. of the best examples, I love this example because it's so shocking. I had a guy who had retired, very successful in business and, um, He actually came to me first through couples therapy. He probably never would have actually sought therapy himself. But he said, there's something about the way you talk that I like. So he came back by himself and he was describing. But what was happening in his retirement, he was starting to heavily drink. Ah, Okay. And uh, he didn't know why that was. And so he was telling me about his childhood and he just had this boisterous, guffaw as he was telling me this story about how his mother used to scream at him and throw rocks at him and tell him he wasn't going to amount to anything. Hmm. Laughed, I showed her. Oh. I said, don't you have a grandson? And he said, yeah. I said, I've got a yard out there. Let's go get your grandson to stand in the yard. And you and me go find some rocks and throw them at him. Right. And he he's never going to amount to anything. And he got this, I got, got quiet he said, well, I would never do that. I said, why not? He said, because it would hurt him. Hmm. True. And I said, and so you were that little boy. Yeah. In years, you have discounted that and made yourself laugh about it when really you need to have compassion for that part of you that's still hurting. And what we figured out was once he didn't have all this feedback and affirmation that he was doing well, he did not know how to give it to himself. Ah. Uh. So, okay. So that's a good illustration of that one.
0: No, that is a good illustration. Thank you.
2: Um, So I also, I've already mentioned this. These people really struggle to feel and to express any kind of pain. It's Mm -hmm. interesting. Research shows that these folks can identify sadness. They can say, yeah, we found out my mother-in-law has cancer and we're really upset about it. Mm -hmm. You ask them and say, well, you know, if you need to talk to me about it, go, oh no, I'm I'm good, I'm good. We're just taking care of business. You know, they don't know how to express that sadness, to to uh, to sink into it emotionally yeah. and to let it show. They don't know how to do that. That's what a lot of what I do is teach them how to do that.
0: Mm. Well, what's the, what's what must be so tricky too is like some of the things that we're describing as characteristics. If, in some ways are often, uh, attributed as strengths, right? Like, Oh, he's just such a, such a strong person. Like, Oh, look at, look at all this adversity and they're powering through it. And like, Oh, they're so incredibly strong, but in in actuality it's, you know, um, it's to their detriment. Right.
2: Can be, can be, it's in, if it's balanced, Mm. you know, uh, there are people who do very well in a crisis and yeah. they get it done. And, and yet in watching Brene Brown's, um, Ted talk, not Ted talk. I'm sorry. I'd it's a, um, it's a um, Netflix special.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah, actually I didn't see got
2: this good. guy that stands up and she's talking about vulnerability and you don't get to courage without vulnerability. And this guy in fatigue stands up. And he says, and I'm going to paraphrase, I'm probably going to crucify what he said, but something like, <laughs> Dr. Brown, you're right. I never, I, he'd been, uh, he'd been to Iraq or, uh, the, uh, uh, that area of the of the world oh, yeah. three times. He'd been in a tour of duty three times and he said until I could not find my courage until I admitted my fear. Hmm. Wow. And so, you know, um, it is, it, I'm not trying to say don't be strong or don't be stoic. I actually don't cry myself a lot. Hmm. I, think that's, I mean, I just never have been, but boy, when I cry, I cry. And yeah. so uh, I know how, I know how to enter that space.
0: Got it. Um, yeah, it, it, I appreciate you making that distinction because I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but it is, it's it's kind of tough to wrap your mind around. And I'm sure it's like everything, you know, there's a, there's a scale uh, you know, you're somewhere on that axis. Um, but it's, it sounds like, you know, whether it's being stoic, it, it, unaddressed emotion, it's like, you can start to drift into this, like this, it's, it's a negative right. versus a positive quality. And there's, I mean, right. I have to imagine there's so much gray area, right? Uh, which makes it complicated probably for the individual and for others to identify that something's wrong.
2: A, a couple of the other characteristics, which aren't going to be probably very surprising, these people can be extremely good friends. I mean, they are the person that is there for you when you need them. Yeah. Very empathic, they are there, but they don't let you in to what's going on in their world. In fact, sometimes, you know, um, someone might say, "You know, Jerry's a really great friend. He's he always remembers every my birthday." And but you know, I don't know much about Jerry. Or Sally, or I don't care what the name is, Rhonda. Who right, right? Um, then often there actually is a co-occurring, actual clinical diagnostic problem like substance abuse. Mm. <laughs> I mean, these people have their benzos in their purse. You know, they take a little half a clonopin when they get upset. Yeah, uh, no one knows they have it, but they have it. Um, or they're drinking at night or whatever, they can develop eating disorders easy, easily because eating disorders are about control. Hmm. They actually can have some anxiety like panic attacks or OCD, uh, which can become unmanageable, but um, they actually you know, can have some panic attacks. And sometimes that's what brings them into therapy is they don't know what's going on. All of a sudden they've developed panic attacks. Right. Um, and then they also, as we've said, are usually, you know, we love perfectionists. We, you know, I had cataract surgery, you know, a few uh, weeks ago, and boy, yeah. my uh, doctor said, "Well, you know, I'm a perfectionist." I said, "That's good. That's very good."
0: Right. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. who you want I doing want your cataract you to, surgery.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't want you to just kind of, oh, well, another one. Well, you know what?
0: I just kind of wing it. And we'll see how it goes.
2: <laughs> she doesn't need this eye. Yeah,
0: now nah, you'll be fine. Um, so you
2: know, in and, in. And, Corporations love perfectionists. They want mm-hmm. going to get it done and get it done in less time than they said they could. Um, but, but they also just struggle with really letting anybody in, especially their partners. Now, they may be attracted to narcissists who really want them to uh, take all the responsibility. They take lots of responsibility. So narcissists don't want to take any. So they might be in that kind of relationship. They might be... Yeah. They might be um, uh, in relationship with somebody that uh, is an uh, underfunctioner mm. and wants them to overfunction. They could also be in relationship with somebody who also wants to be perfect looking. And so mm. they have this wonderful life together. They've got 2.5 kids and they've got dual careers and they're just doing great and they're pillars of the church and all that stuff. And then yeah. you do have this group of people, and I've heard from these spouses that say, you know, We've been married 14 years, and I've never seen her cry, or hmm. I've never seen him admit that he feels tired. He's, you know. So, hmm. those are the people who write to me and go, "How do I approach someone like this?"
1: Yeah,
0: well, and that—that's a really good segue too. I mean. You know, if you are someone who's listening to this or maybe you know someone who's close to you, and you're like, oh man, I might suspect that, you know, they, they might fall into this category. Like for the patients that you work with, what often is like that first step? Like where does someone even begin?
2: Uh, yeah. Funny story. Um, New Harbinger was very uh, interested in the book and they said, we, we want this book, but you'd have to come up with a treatment strategy and you have to do it in two weeks. <laughs> okay yeah just I solve said, this please oh great <laughs> <laughs> so um what i what th- there is a way out and the book is really yeah. uh, it gives you over 60 exercises i don't know if you did any of them no well
0: you know what? i that, that was the only thing because i i read very quickly and as i was getting these exercises i was like i'm gonna need to go back and i'm actually gonna need to take the time to do some of this journaling do some of this stuff to try and like dig in um so I, I, I read I read them, but I haven't uh, now taken the time to really
2: I have a it. supposed critique on Goodreads that says, I love the first three chapters. It was like she was talking to me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it turned into a therapy session. <laughs> and I thought, Yep, it <laughs> <laughs> So um basically some of the steps are someone has to, um, as an individual, and I'll get back to the other person who sees that,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, see this as a problem in and of itself, as we have been talking about. Yeah. Then there are certain hurdles. Uh, the perfectionist will try to they'll say, OK, I'm going to work on X. Well, X is the thing they most fear changing. Yeah. You know, no, 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 no. We're not going to go there. We're, we're. You know, they want to. They want to heal perfectionistically. Exactly. Yeah. You have to take very. You have to take baby steps. Got it. And you have to really look at the rules that you're following. The rules that you decided as a child or as a teenager. Um. You know, this is who I have to be, ought to be, should be, must be. Um, I have some African-American clients right now who told me they had to be perfect looking and perfect acting and, and actually perfect or they wouldn't have gotten the opportunities they got. They you had know, better than everybody else.
0: One of my uh, best friends in the world, I actually had him on the show. He's now, of course, really successful doctor, surgeon. Uh, yeah, one of the things that he was told as a kid was, "Hey, you have to work twice as hard to get half as far." Exactly. Um, which, yeah, I mean, just that. So you know, they've said, "How, How am I supposed to
2: take alone? this apart when it's why I'm successful?" So. You know, that's a that's a complex issue to try to approach. And we've we've tried. And so anyway, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, the fourth one is to do uh, to do some emotional connection work. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: that means learning how to do exactly what I'm talking about, learning how to have compassion for yourself, to accept both your strengths and vulnerabilities. You know, I laughed with you before a little bit about that. I'm not proud of the fact, but I've been married three times. Mm hmm. And I also have, I've been married now for 30 years, so I think I got it right finally. The
0: last, the last one's stuck. The last
2: one's kept, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I also have three letters after my name. I have a PhD. Right. I, both, the, both those things are facts about me. Hmm. And what I've learned through the years in my ancient age that I am <laughs> is that um My strengths don't define me any more than my vulnerabilities do, nor do my vulnerabilities define me any more than my strengths Mm. Both exist. I'm proud of one. I'm not proud of another. Mm -hmm. And so I can let those be without having to hide or without having to worry what people are going to think about me if they know about one or the other. Um, So, that is an important place to, to get to. And I think you get to there by connection, connecting with your emotions from what you do feel shame about, what you, what you, what you do feel you have to keep secret. Yeah. You have to connect with those emotions. And then the last stage is actual change. You know, I think insight's wonderful.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It, it puts, it, it helps you connect the dots, but insight doesn't lead you to hope. What leads you to hope is behavior change. Hmm. And so I know that I've accepted myself more if I make a mistake and I let it be. I just let it be. Um, so the, the little things like that. I mean, um, so I, I have a whole chapter on change, which a chapter is nothing when it comes to change. But, yeah. but if you're in love, if you're in love with someone who is like this, yeah, what you suspect is like this. One of the things you can do is you can say, you know, I heard this curious thing that I've never heard before. And it made me wonder if they're, if you might be interested in looking at it. Mm-hmm. Send them a blog post of mine. Send them a podcast of mine. Yeah, Don't tell, so you need to read this book. Right. <laughs> you know, Got it. Here's work. what's wrong with you. Let's get to work. <laughs> that's not going to work. But you also can say you know, I've been your friend for 15 years or however, 10 years or five months or whatever it is and say, I don't, you you never share anything with me. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: I, I, I really want to know. And they go, Oh no, you don't want to know all this stuff. Yeah, I really do. And Mm -hmm. so do you think it's a problem for you? You know, and approach it like this is my experience of you. And this is what I'm concerned about, about you. And have you ever thought that it could be a problem for you? Yeah. Um, so a really gentle approach to that. Yeah. And um, I have had some people who said that works and you don't come in with a bulldozer. You come in with, you know, a much lighter touch and yeah. uh, it can lead someone to realize that they how alone they do feel.
0: Yeah. Well, I think one of the frightening things to me, too, is um, along with like any form of depression, but just this idea that people can slip through the cracks because they don't even know how to label it. But what's scary to your point is like. How rapidly, you know suicides are increasing in this country around the world, and it's like, okay, well, how many people are falling through the cracks? How many people know someone who had no idea or didn't suspect or't imagine I've been it, it, it's frightening. yeah. I mean, you know, I already shared, but in the last year i could I can name a handful, which is mm-hmm. pretty pretty terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know,
2: understand it's not just adults, it's also teens no.
0: No, it's funny. I have this girl that I went to high school with. Um, You know, I I won't share her name, but uh, she was without question uh, someone they would identify as very popular, one of the smartest people, uh, by all accounts, very driven, very together. I mean, and then I remember learning in college a few years later, she had taken her own life. And it was just one of those people that I just, I could, I never in a million years would have pegged. Uh, It was the opposite you know, I mean, if she wasn't named most likely to succeed, like she probably was second or third type of thing. Right, exactly. Um, and it, you know, it, it is, it is frightening. Um, so I guess maybe a question, and I know that we're already kind of talking about some of the extreme worst cases, but like, what are the risks? Say you're someone who does listen to this and you're like, oh man, I'm, this is kind of resonating with me a little bit. You know, I'm not suicidal. W- what are some of the other risks that tend to like manifest if this just goes unaddressed for an extended period of time or a lifetime?
2: well i'll i'll reassert what i said about why these people who contacted me did mm. because it is so lonely yeah um and uh, they you're afraid that if you begin to reveal yourself that you'll lose all respect hmm. that sort of black and white thinking all respect all status no one can know that you struggle because you you will you'll be reduced in their um, in in your reputation or in how you present yourself. You know, frankly, um, you know I have panic disorder. I've had panic attacks since I was in my late twenties.
1: Okay, I
2: do a lot to perfectionism, by the way.
1: Hmm. I'm much
2: better now. Um, but I do still have them occasionally. And when I started talking about that on online, on social media, I I had to stop for a minute and think, wait a minute. You know, here I am, clinical psychologist reveals panic disorder. Not yeah. that I'm anybody. I mean, I'm, I'm in Arkansas. I'm in a small town in Arkansas. It's not that uh, that many people would know. But anyway, I... I understand what you're saying, though. It's,
0: you know, you, 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 you assume like, oh, well, the, the, the psychologists, they have all this information. They're educated. They have a PhD. Yeah. Like, they, they're probably better equipped to handle this stuff than anyone. Right. I could understand why you would feel that way.
2: And I was scared that people would sort of dismiss me and my work and say, well, mm. she can't heal herself. Who can she heal? Right. But I found exactly the opposite. I found yeah. the opposite that people said, thank goodness you're transparent, you know, um, thank goodness you you may, may even have more compassion for people because you have had anxiety, you know, yeah. exactly what it feels like. I've had an eating disorder. I mean, mm. I, you know, I was anorexic in college. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I know whereof I speak in, in several instances. So um, not obviously all of them, but um, so I have found that that kind of vulnerability actually, as Brene Brown has pointed out in her research and her, in all her writing is that it has a certain kind of strength. It brings with it a, you know, what can somebody say to you Mm that's going to hurt you or bring you down? If you've already admitted it to yourself. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm not the most patient person and I don't like, I'm kind of a little bit, I get anxious in stores and things like that. So I want to get out of there and, um, my son makes fun of me, and says, "Mom, you know what in the world you've got a, a plane to catch? I mean, just calm down." And you know, if I hadn't accepted that I'm not proud of it, but that I can be impatient, mm-hmm. I'd probably be defensive. What are you talking about? You know, it's the line is going. Yeah. to the I would never have it right out in front of me that yes, I know this is one of my vulnerabilities. Right. My management.
1: yeah exactly
2: (laughs) and and so i laugh at it because i admit and that's a small thing but you know you you have more self-acceptance if again your vulnerabilities are known to you and you don't mind at least people that you trust others knowing them you don't want maybe the world to know but you don't mind people who are in your circle to know right um and of course, I guess the more celebrity you have sometimes, the more your vulnerabilities are known but to to several but
1: mm.
2: um still, I think it's that fear of that loss and and you live you live with fear all the time. people are gonna find me out people are gonna figure figure out that I'm a hoax yeah um and so i I think that kind of loneliness and fear is a terrible way to live
0: mhm, yeah, it's um you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, um, like I said, there's certain aspects of that book that really gave me pause. And I had to like, kind of look at myself and say like, Oh, wow. Like some of this hits close to home. Some of this is not an issue for me at all. I'm actually good at XYZ. Um, but it's, I think, you know, to your point, you, you said something like just even having the insight or awareness. And actually, I think you gave the example, like just the relief that a woman had when she found out that like, there was at least some sort of name for this syndrome. Yes, exactly. Like just, just the heartache that she felt when she looked up clinical depression, didn't find herself there, but knew something was wrong. Like that's all that's heartbreaking. You know, just I, I think even having awareness that like, hey, th- this is something that is not unique individually to you. This is something that people struggle with. Is like probably provides a great deal of relief, I imagine, to a lot of folks who come across your work.
2: I had, thank you. I had a conversation. Uh, Lewis Howes was kind of who's this eminent podcaster I had the mm-hmm. graciousness to have me on his podcast last year, and so yeah. once again, graciously agreed to be my uh, my guest. And he's written a book called The Masks of Masculinity. Mm. Actually, just being male is one of the ways you can get to perfectly hidden depression because
1: yeah.
2: um, there are just so many things that men are taught. I, th- I think I was reading an article the other day that it's around the age of eight or nine or ten that uh, when when you, little boys and little girls are, are born, they all have about the same emotional language and then you will hear hmm. emotional language drop out. Of little boys' conversations at eight or nine or 10, they learn it's not okay to talk about, you know, being uh, scared or, or, you know, being afraid. They just, you know, that's sadly still what our culture, part of our culture, not all of the culture, but part of our culture still believes is that stoicism and, I'm not knocking stoicism. Yeah. So you know, it's um, it's there are times when you, you just can't fall apart. You you need to find your strength, whatever your strength is, you need to find it yeah. and use it. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, I I like to, I say this phrase all the time. The glass is half full and half empty by definition. Hmm. So, you know, you can find your strength in the half full part that can be your faith, that can be your uh, diligence, that can be your, your your smart, that can be your creative, that can be um, you're a good organizer, whatever your, very athletic, whatever yeah. your strength is, you can you can live in that half of the glass, that's great.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But knowing how to connect with the parts that aren't so great, hmm. that hurt, that are where you're afraid, where you're sad, where you're disappointed, where you're lost, where you're whatever is also important. You may not want to live there. I get that. Right. People with horrible depression sometimes live there all the time. Or people yeah. with horrible anxiety and they struggle to to not live there. But knowing how to connect with that part of the glass. Yeah. Is important. And then go back down into the strong part. That's fine. Right. Just know how to connect with the other.
0: Oh man, that's, uh, it's so funny that, that, uh, that really, I don't know, kind of struck me because it's, yeah, like regardless of what you choose to focus on, it it doesn't change the fact that the other half exists. Mm -mm. Um, then so it's about, I guess, at least understanding how to connect with it, recognize it, come to terms with it.
2: Yeah. Uh, In fact, one of my last questions for Lewis Howes was, I mean, he was a big athlete. He's a huge guy and Mm -hmm. Um, uh, now he's a podcaster, um, journalist kind of person, but anyway, I said, what's the hard thing about being Lewis house again? What's the half empty part about being Lewis house? There are lots of half full parts. I mean, he's yeah. got lots of money and lots of fame and celebrity and all this stuff. Um, people fall into, I don't know how many thousands or hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers he has. If again, you think that's success, but right. uh, he said, because when I make a mistake, people jump on it. Hmm. You know, people are harsh when I make a mistake or when I say the wrong thing or when I give a wrong answer or, you know, I'm proven that, you know, I, or I get confused. He said, people can be really, really harsh. Hmm. And it's hard to have things about you in the press that were mistakes and you admit they were mistakes and yet everybody knows about them and judges you for them. Yeah. And so, you know, th- they're always underbellies to blessings. And um, uh, you're, you're a great athlete. Say so you really, you, you're a wonderful golfer or volleyball player or swimmer or whatever you are. Mm-hmm. The hours you have to put in and the sacrifice you have to make um, is incredible. And so your family suffer you know, whatever. So, yeah. um, anyway, it, I just think it's so important sometimes to know how to connect with that. Um, confusion and that loss or fear, or whatever it is. Well, and so, you
0: know, I'm a father of three. Uh, my daughter's going to be six soon. I've got a three-year-old, then we've got a, a 10-month-old, maybe 11. <clears throat> Jeez. Um, but I, I worry about this actually, um, because, you know, like, I guess I can, I would describe myself and I imagine, you know, I, I've been described as someone who, um, I don't know if they use the word stoic, but like, when things go bad, I tend to like, that's when I turn on, you know, and I I push through, I have no problem like dealing with adversity. I probably don't address a lot of the things that come along with that. Um, You know, so on the exterior, it's like, oh, he's strong, put together. He really deals with like these traumatic things well better than others, right? When in actuality, maybe I'm not acknowledging some of the stuff that's happened. well, and, and, and I worry, I don't want to perpetuate that with my own kids, right? I would love, if nothing else, them to grow up to be kind, loving, and uh, self-secure people who know how to process a lot of this emotion. So, um, you know, I imagine myself and others who are parents, it's like, I don't want to screw up my kids. <laughs> it, like, w- what is the right way to kind of approach how to start to acknowledge emotion and, and process some of this stuff, especially when dealing with, uh, you know, Kids in, in their formative years.
2: I cannot say this passionately and yet gently uh, 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 as much as I'd like to. Yeah. I think you have to talk to your children about your own vulnerabilities. Hmm. You have to model for them that it's okay that dad's really strong and yeah.
1: sometimes
2: dad's scared. Both, uh, both are, can exist in the same person. Yeah. Uh, I was so delighted, not that I did everything right with my son. I absolutely did not, our son. But he made a mistake in college, which I won't go into. That's his life. Yeah. But he knew I'd made the same mistake in my lifetime. Uh, okay. And so, because I talked about it as a vulnerability. And he called me and said, this has happened and I, first my mama <laughs> came to the fore and I was like, oh, I can't and she goes, Mom, I called you because I knew you had been through this and I knew you knew you'd know what I was feeling.
1: Mm.
2: Immediately shut down. And I just was so grateful. You know, if your child becomes sad or lost, and you've never talked about being sad or lost ever. Yeah. They don't know it's okay to talk about. Yeah. And so um, these children th- that are killing themselves and their parents don't know they have any problems. Hmm. Maybe, I don't say it's always, yeah, but maybe people who developed a culture in the family that uh, inadvertently, perhaps, mm-hmm. that you just parents didn't talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. So,
0: well, and you you said overburden
2: your children because they're children. You don't want to use them as your confidant. You know, that's (laughs) just say, yeah, Dad gets scared. This was one time I was really, I was really scared, and you know, I, I, I didn't know what to do with being afraid, and I, I, I kind of wanted to cry, but I didn't even let myself cry. I don't know why I didn't let myself cry. I could have cried. Kind of process what it's like to have been you mm. and your child was so much more readily come to you if they're struggling with the same thing.
0: Yeah. And the way you put it, it's like if they, cause you know, I mean, when we're kids in, in a general circumstance, right? Typically we look up to our parents, you know, you idolize them to an extent. Um, and I, I understand that can change over time, yeah. but You know, if, like, as an example, if if my kids look up to me and that you know they never understood that I also felt scared or worried or hurt, Um, I could see how, in their mind, right when they start to experience those emotions, they could they could start to attach maybe like some shame to it or. Um, being like, oh man, like, I don't think my dad or my mom ever dealt with this. Like, why am I feeling this? Is there something wrong with me? And I'm projecting a little bit, but I'm just, I, I can see how it's like, just by even opening up to them that you do experience these things and it's okay. And it's part of life. It can kind of like change the frame of reference for them a bit.
2: You know, I was an older mom. I agree with you. I was an older mom. And so my career was very well established oh, okay. I had a child. Yeah. And, um, and so... I tried to make sure that I talked about what my own struggles had been mm. um, because to a certain extent, because you know, by the time my son came along, everything looked pretty rosy
0: <laughs> you're You're <laughs> and, pretty well put together, yeah, I mean, comparatively I mean speaking
2: oh was that a, a tumultuous trip. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now that's the title of your next book.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I guess that call I got in college was, was, um, uh, was a, a, a consequence of me trying to do that again, not burdening him, but realizing that gosh, mom really acted foolishly as well.
0: Yeah. 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 No, it just, it just, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just even being able to relate is just so critical. Um, Well, this, this has been absolutely amazing. Uh, I really appreciate this. Um, I'm definitely going to link to the book. I'm going to link to the website. Um, Where, where would you recommend for people who want to follow you? You have a tremendous podcast. Um, Yeah. And actually, would you speak really quickly just about your podcast and just kind of like the stuff that you dive into? Cause I I think people would love to listen to that.
2: Sure. It's called the self-work podcast. And I started it about four years ago and Most of the episodes are just me talking. People have told me about a certain topic, not always perfectly hidden depression. In fact, maybe I have 10 or 12, 15 episodes on that, and I have over 200 episodes. So um, it's about something that that is a psychological dynamic or a relationship issue or something. And I'll I'll research it. So I will bring you the most current research on it. And what mm-hmm. other people have to say about it. And then I add my two cents in because I have mm. been a therapist for twenty eight years, nine years.
0: Little bit little bit of experience a little there.
2: Bit of experience. So and then I also have a listener email that I, or, a um, well, sometimes they leave me voicemails, but I answer those emails as best I can as well. They're about 25 minutes long, generally, sometimes a little shorter than that, sometimes okay. a little longer. Um, and now I'm beginning to have guests, um, but I'm doing those as sort of bonus episodes because oh, cool. people, people have told me it's kind of like having their own little therapist in their ear. So, um I'm, I'm very, um, delighted about that. We have, I was t- sharing with you and bragging, I guess a little bit that, um, <laughs> one, Brag away. We're, Brag we're, away. At, we're right at 1.9 million downloads. Um, yeah. so that's utterly, <laughs> uh, you know, I can't believe it. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing, as they would say. Um, but I love doing it. And so I, uh, Uh, People also say that they like my voice. Um, Very soothing. I have to admit, being on the phone with you, I'm in a very good place right now. He says, "I can't listen to your podcast when I'm driving because I'll go to sleep." (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. I I probably put some other people to sleep in my lifetime, but
0: that's a good uh, trait to have,
1: though, as a (laughs) a therapist.
2: So I do that, and then my website is Mm drmargaretrutherford.com. The book you can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Give your local bookstore some business right now; they probably need it. Oh yeah. Um, Or you can actually um, get it directly from New Harbinger.
0: Oh, okay, perfect.
2: And there's an e-book and an audio book.
0: So. Awesome. Well, and, and you know, one, one of the things that we were talking about a little bit beforehand um, is, is just, I, I feel it's getting better, and I'd be interested to get your opinion on this, but just the stigma around mental health and uh, mental illness um, seems to be breaking down a little bit. Uh, people are, are standing up. Uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand about the Michael Phelps documentary, which I haven't watched but can't wait to. Um, I just, I have to imagine that this is something that's so much more pervasive, uh, than most people probably realize. And I think having someone like you, to your point, you can get a therapist kind of in your ear, um, in a very safe, uh, anonymous way, you right. know, you can start to engage with some of these topics, especially if you know, you're feeling something, uh, it's just such an cre- incredible resource to people. So thank you for all the awesome work that you're doing.
2: Sure, of course. Oh, and by the way, it's free. So I don't charge for anything that I put out there. So anyway, that's Yeah. Just-
0: yeah. Absolutely. Well, awesome. Uh, Margaret, thank you so much. Sure, I appreciate it. You. And we'll we'll have to have you back that on in the future.
2: Awesome. I'd love that. I'd love that.
0: And mommy. You better go ask mommy daddy. <laughs> and we are live. That's that's my uh announcer voice. I've been working on the announcer <laughs> yeah, voice. Your radio voice. My radio voice. I also do a very good uh, drunk karaoke DJ.
3: You do. Yeah, that's one of your greatest um, skills. I would agree. Yeah.
0: yeah. I would say of all the things that There's I- a lot of
3: people that would attest to that.
0: bring to this planet, that's yeah, up there.
3: Drunk DJ skills are top two. Yeah,
0: without a doubt. Uh,
3: you don't want to know your first skill?
0: Oh. Actually, yeah. Now, now, that, now that you've piqued my interest,
3: go on. <laughs> Never mind. I'm not gonna say it. All oh much.
0: God, what is wrong with you? <laughs>
3: not that I'm trying to. I was gonna, I was gonna say something lame, making beautiful babies. Oh, <laughs> I, thought, I was like.
0: I thought you were gonna say uh, the hot passion with which I bring to love making.
3: Oh my God, <laughs> my mom <listen laughs> to
0: Oh, hey, how you doing, Orla? Um, so that's a good, nice, clean segue. <laughs> So this conversation, she was, she was, we were talking about this beforehand. So easy to talk to. Yeah. Uh, What a soothing voice. So interesting. Right? Yeah. She really has a great voice. Man. Yeah. She found her calling Mm -hmm. and being a therapist and then having like this online platform that she does to kind of like extend her reach. Yeah. Her, her voice is perfect for that.
3: Yeah. All pro bono. Well, I mean, everything's for free.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This podcast also for free. Well, <laughs> for now,
3: <laughs> no, it's like, she, like she just wants to help people. It's not like she's yeah. she's got like sort of scheme to get their money. She's just trying to help people. It's but really he, nice.
0: But even if she did, you know, she's still helping people. Yeah, no, it's really now, nice. I, she I, seems I, like
3: she just really cares. And she's I agree. Found a passion within yeah. her field that she is.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, I, I said as much during the show, it's like there is an there shouldn't be, but there's still so much stigma around mental health, mental mm-hmm. wellness. People are just like reluctant to like speak up and get help. Yeah. Uh, and what was crazy was when she, I think she said this during the show, like when she was trying to get her book published, publishers said, you know, hey, look, this is really needed. We love that you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, we just won't publish it because we don't feel like that this pe- these people will feel comfortable enough to go into a bookstore and buy this book.
3: Mm-hmm. So sad.
0: Right? Like, how crazy is that? That they recognize there's a need for it. It's important. Don't they
3: know no one goes into a bookstore now anyway? That's what
0: I wanted to say. <laughs> it's like, I don't think you have much time left in the publishing industry if you're doubling down on borders. <laughs> so I think one of the big things, you know, I took away from this is you can't judge a book by its cover.
3: Oh, wow. Nice segue.
0: Well, then wait till you see what I'm about to do. <laughs> and never has that been more true. Than with Paul Blart, Mall Cop.
1: Oh my God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, how many years did we go by not watching that movie, not realizing it was cinematic? How many times have we seen it up on cinematic our cinematic?
3: And been like, oh God. Or me be like, oh God, please no. And you'd be like, oh, come on. Uh, no, we would never yeah, do it. Uh, I loved it. Yeah, I know you did.
0: Really good. Yeah. Kids loved it. I don't know what it says that uh, the two people laughing hardest at it were me and the three year old. <laughs> But I definitely felt better walking away after watching Paul Blart Mall Cop. Um, Okay. But in all seriousness, this is one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. It really is. And I think for me, it's because one, she's fantastic. Great conversation. But like, it's just so important to raise awareness. Um, And, you know, a couple of things she said really struck me. It's just like that story she told about the woman who went and looked up like clinical depression When she Mm -hmm. kind of had like some, you know, emotional experience that like made her aware that there's a lot of stuff underneath the surface. Mm -hmm. And when she went to look it up and she didn't fit the description, like she was even more heartbroken.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That was. Yeah, that was heart wrenching. Yeah.
0: And and so, you know, like it just I, I hate that. I hate the thought of people like suffering kind of in silence. And thinking not, it's just them. And thinking it's just them and not knowing where to turn. Mm-hmm. So I'm so appreciative that there's people like her out there talking about it, raising awareness, providing, you know, help uh, in a lot of different forms. So really, you know, I just I just hope that there's someone who took something away from this by listening to it, either mm-hmm. personally or someone. And, you know, I mean, some good comes from it. Um, but there was a couple really good takeaways. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to admit something. Mm-hmm. this is the first time that I have not listened to an episode back because we're doing this the same day, baby. Mm-hmm. We are finally getting our act together.
3: Yeah, you sent it to me and you were like, yeah. oh, no, I didn't listen to it back right before we were going to do this. And I was like, you literally did it hours ago.
0: I know. But you know what? I, I listened to this back hours ago. I know. So I'm going to lean on you a little bit. But no, but there, there was a couple things that really stuck out to me. And the, the mm-hmm. first was uh, kind of this picture she painted of the glass half full or empty.
3: Yeah, that was really good.
0: Right. And, you know, I think something that was important that she said was there's nothing wrong with like optimism. There's nothing actually inherently wrong with perfectionism uh, per se. Right. But Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the way in which you process it and the way in like the lens through which you kind of like look at it and judge yourself yeah. She had a much better, more eloquent explanation. Yeah, you're doing a good job. Am I? Yeah. Okay, we'll keep going. But the glass half full really kind of struck me, right? Because, um, you know, yes, great to have a positive perspective. But if you just move through life, just kind of pretending like that these negative feelings or negative experiences aren't there, you just yeah, keep trying to like shove, shove them below the surface. Like that's not good either.
3: Yeah. Do you relate to
0: that? Uh, A little, See, and I also did, not like, I really... You know, I wanted to, like, be open, right? And I wanted to share that I could relate to some of this, but I also didn't want to turn it into, like, my therapy session.
3: <laughs> yeah, you are like, um, do I owe you anything?
0: And people are just, like, tagging along. <laughs> Should I Venmo you for this? <laughs> right. No, but, uh, yeah, I relate to some of that. Yeah. And I, I, kind of, I kind of explained where it comes from. It's like when something difficult would happen in life, I always felt like it was best to, like, rise to the occasion. Yeah. Power through, like... Mm-hmm take take it on head first. I don't know how many other like ridiculous mottos I can throw out right now, but you know what I mean? And like, I thought that was a good thing and I think it is. Mm-hmm. However, what I would not then go back and do is like sit with that experience yeah, or those emotions and take the time to process it. And I think that's where I get caught. Yeah. Um, and I, fortunately, you know, like this wasn't the first time I've thought about that. I've been thinking about this now for years. I'm getting better for sure but it's difficult.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, she was saying a lot of men face depression Mm. because around eight or nine, the emotional language, it's, it changes drastically from what the emotional language of a little girl would be like. Yeah. You tell your little boy, no, you have to be tough. You're a big, strong boy. There's so many things that like, and and you're like not letting them feel all the feelings that your daughter gets to feel, you know? And it's, it's makes them kind of, build this wall where they have to always be tough and strong and it's kind of sad to think about it like that
0: yeah you kind of like stifle them yeah you kind of like stifle their development you think you know and I feel like a lot of this stuff if you were to look back over time like there was probably a reason that like things kind of evolved that way you know Well, like if you're like like when there's a a spider in the house and
3: (laughs) or when there's a sound, someone's got to go check it out. It's probably going to be the 230 pound man, not the 125 (laughs) pound (laughs) lady.
0: Dang, girl, still 125. Dang. Uh, But no, I hear you. Yeah, and that was and it really does make me take a second and pause and say, are we treating our sons the same way that we're treating our daughter emotionally?
3: Yeah, no. You know,
0: like, are we giving them the same opportunity to kind of like sit with their feeling, understand, hey, it's okay to feel this way. Yeah. Process those emotions. Uh, or am I just raising a pack of little savages?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no need to be more cognizant of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I do think that's important. But uh, I, that was a big one for me. Like, it's, again, like, I loved that she would clarify, look, perfectionism in itself, not inherently bad. There's, there's, uh, advantage to being stoic, right? Those, those actually can be really good and powerful things. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people intuitively are like, yeah, perfectionists excel at A, B and C. Um, but like, it's kind of like, what is the meaning or the reason behind that? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, is that perfectionism because like you're a driven person and you're constantly trying to excel? Or is it because like she said, you know, you're, you're harboring onto something yeah and you just you feel like if you're not perfect, then like people are seeing through the cracks and like you're failing or you're not living up to expectation Ugh, or
3: yeah, that's so sad,
0: yeah, um, but you know, good perspective, you had another one. we talked about it a little bit,
3: um, no, it was that it was about perfectionism, oh, yeah, and how it's like a very lonely way to live, always trying to keep up this front and being so scared that someone's going to see that you're not really perfect, that there are cracks, like you said. Mm -hmm. And I feel like social media has done so much to like make that, because you you look at social media and there's so many like perfect families and perfect lifestyles Mm -hmm. and you're just like, shit, like I need to make mine perfect too. But like what you're not seeing is all the crap behind those pictures.
0: All you're seeing is the highlight. You're seeing the greatest hits. Yeah. And not only are you seeing the greatest hits, what's even more manipulative. I really do worry about young kids. Now I'm sounding old. But like these filters, the way that people can Photoshop their face instantly. Like, yeah, it's horrible. It's just like you're creating such an unreal expectation. And like we're adults. We've experienced enough life that hopefully like we can kind of discern between the two, even though we're still, I'm sure, yeah, uh, susceptible to it Yeah,
3: but I feel like it's so important to like show your kids to you like this is not real yeah that's not real like no one looks like that no one's like that's just not a realistic expectation
0: except they, for the Kardashians
3: <laughs> yeah that's all real
0: they're our shining light
3: yeah they took an our x-ray be- of Kim's booty of and it was real
0: <laughs> oh wow an x-ray proved that
3: <laughs> at least I think they did that's, that's, <laughs> I think that, that's like during the time where I kind of fell off the show a little bit yeah I'm back,
0: though. I was going to say, it feels like you're back in with both feet.
3: Yeah, I'm back in.
0: Yeah, well, that's good. Good use of your time. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. The, you know, and I, I said this a little bit. The other one, and this kind of breaks my heart, is this idea that there's not a small amount of people, but potentially a large group of people who are slipping through the cracks. And I think whether it's folks who she would identify as someone that has this like perfectly hidden depression syndrome or really any other form of depression. It's like these suicides that are occurring. One is too many. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's getting worse, um, you know, the the fact that it's affecting all, you know, every population, every demographic uh, is just really heartbreaking.
3: Yeah, it's scary.
0: Yeah, and it just makes you feel like this is something that's so important to evangelize, talk about. Like it's okay to have moments of weakness. Yeah, <laughs> you know, definitely. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, but that—that's what I thought was really interesting about the specific syndrome that she was talking about was, um, for this group of people, and I hope I'm not butchering this. It was people who don't recognize. That they have depression, mm-hmm. but they know something's wrong. Yeah. Um, which is really kind of startling. Mm. And I think for a lot of people, if, if someone is feeling this way and they're like hearing this podcast, they're probably like, holy shit. Like, yep, that's exactly the way I feel. Yeah. Um, which I have to imagine is like a massive step forward, just even to be able to put like a face on the enemy, so to speak. Yeah. if you don't know what you're dealing with, you're just, you're swinging at nothing.
3: Yeah. It's like that woman who looked up clinical depression and she didn't match the, that's just like disheartening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. That's not even really a takeaway, but that was just kind of uh, unexpected, I would say. Because mm-hmm. when I do think depression, I think what she described is like clinical depression. Yeah. You can see it. Th- you know they they become unmotivated, and mm-hmm. I don't mean that like in a critiquing way, but I mean like it's hard to get out of bed. yeah. Um, they don't want to like engage in social activities or they start to retreat, you know in what she's describing and and I, I hope I said this in the show. One of the reasons I thought that she was such an excellent guest is because after reading the book, not all, but a lot of the people who fit this mold are like the high achievers. Mm-hmm. The perfectionists, the person in the room that everyone would say like, oh, them, they've got it all figured out. Yeah. They're crushing it. And they might be. But what is horrible is that on the inside, they're lonely. They're isolated. They're they're not able to reveal them, their true selves. Um, yeah. So that's why I thought it was a really good fit.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that's like, you know how child stars, like how she was kind of.
0: Love where we're going. Well, Keep com- nope. Keep it coming.
3: <laughs> How she was talking about like kids who are really, really good at something growing up and like, that's what they're known uh, for. And they yeah. kind of don't get to develop the other parts of their personalities and their lives because there's, they're good at or known for this one specific thing. Yep. I bet you that's what a, a lot of child stars go through.
0: I bet they, you're right.
3: They're like known for one thing. So they can't develop the rest of their personalities.
0: Yeah. And we're, we're playing armchair quarterback a little bit, but uh, no, I agree, right? Because she said like, look, if, if you've kind of like tied all your value up and like where you got your positive reinforcement, what do you want to say?
3: Armchair quarterback.
1: Did
0: you like that? <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Dax Shepard ripped it off, though. It already has armchair expert competing podcast. I try <sighs> not to listen to the competition.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, he's doing pretty well, though, and I would say we're in a different stratosphere at the moment,
1: <sighs>
0: but I digress uh, but no, you're right. Like if, if you, all your positive reinforcement has come from like one thing, yeah, you know, and like you think that's where your value lies. And then all of a sudden, like you're not delivering on that anymore. You know, it's kind of, this is a great segue back to the podcast <sighs> athletes. And I think if you talk to any athlete, Uh, It could have been high school, but anyone who probably like really dedicated time played through college and and played for a majority of their life when like athletics is removed from your life. It really is a difficult time because Mm -hmm. it offered structure. It offered positive reinforcement. Hopefully it offered like some sort like you start to tie your identity into that. And when that's taken away, you kind of feel lost.
3: Yeah. Well,
0: perfect example. Prince Daniels. Junior. Oh, yeah. yeah. Episode 29? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe. Could have been. Really? Uh, but that's exactly what he was talking about. He'd made it yeah, to the NFL. That's right. He was just about to like what he felt like, you know, tap into his full potential and then it was ripped away from him. Mm-hmm. And his identity was just kind of, you know, at that time taken away with it.
3: Yeah. you used to completely rebuild your life. And-
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. And for him, it was meditation. Turned mm-hmm. it around. Mm-hmm gotta get back on meditating i know i've been doing a little bit not as much as i need to i
3: know i, I would like to I, I feel like i can never like it's get in kids. the zone with the kids yeah. well when they're sleeping it's easier yeah when like, they're sleeping we do it, all bets are off if we do it at night but then i'm also like i should be listening but then i'm like yeah, they're safe they're in their beds
0: <laughs> i will say you don't turn off
3: no, with yeah, the kids. Yeah, no, I know. Unless my mom's watching them, right. and then I'm like, "Kids, what kids?" <laughs> but anyway, I don't time, know if I'm she's like... gonna
0: watch them anymore after we uh, dove into the passionate lovemaking. Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be careful because this episode is gonna slip into explicit if i careful. <laughs> uh, but anyways, in all seriousness, really, really good episode. Yeah, good. she was fantastic. Good.
3: Yeah, I love listening to hers.
0: Um, okay. Well, hey, folks, talking to you, we have a couple really good guests coming down the pike. I'm excited. Very <laughs> excited. And I know who they are, but you know what? I'm going to build the suspense, and I'm not going to tell you. What I will tell you is maybe there's a world champion coming down the pike. Mm. Uh, maybe we have some some people from uh, you know special operations who are also athletes. I don't know. Could be. Looking forward to it. Uh, Well, hey, thank you for listening, everybody. And again, uh, check out uh, Dr. Margaret Rutherford's book. It's amazing. Read it yourself. Share it with a friend. uh, And man, be well. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to you soon. Bye.